Welcome back to another episode of the Project Tears podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Joe. Today we are out in the field sitting in a beautiful machine. Joe, what are we in? Yes, we are in a 1961 Land Rover Series 2, 109, 108 inch wheelbase. I don't remember. I think this is a 108. Anyway, it's the safari wagon. It has the safari yeah. roof on it. It's even tan. I think it started life as kind of a greenish color, but now it's tan. This is wide enough. We're, we're almost properly social distancing. We are. We're 50% social distancing <laughs> right now. So it's four door. It's got the fancy big top on it, the vented top, the windows. Yep. Double layer roof. So you get a little bit of reprieve from the uh, blaring sun and the Serengeti. Uh, interesting thing about this vehicle, it was like a two row configuration and then they had bench seats in the quarter panels. And originally, they listed it as a 12-passenger vehicle. Really? Because for tax purposes, it could be registered as a bus. <laughs> and that was like a... So you have two in the front. Three in the front. Three there's a, you oh, could there's get a third a seat, seat in the center, or you could put a console. So three in the front, three, three in the, the middle rear, row. And then if you do three down each quarter panel, wow. they technically listed it, and I guess you got like some smoking tax break. For selling a bus. Yep. Much like the BMW Isetta was sold more or less as a four-wheel three-wheel motorcycle oh, yeah? <laughs> because a driver's license I guess was hard to come by in Europe but anybody could drive a motorcycle so they pretty much made a car that could be registered as a motorcycle so nice. same thing here um, the era that this came out I don't I don't know how taxes in England work <laughs> not up on your 1960s England yeah, taxes. after that tea party a few years back <laughs> I really haven't been paying attention to it but um, yeah so it's so, go ahead yeah no so we're in here expanding on the vintage 4x4 the previous podcast which was vintage 4x4 yep if but, you haven't listened to that it's a good a good primer for the conversation about that yes so this was one of the four that we had talked about the yep. land rover series yes um so they had so what so there's one two and three they were all essentially the same body style yes uh, minor headlight adjustments grill fun adjustments. fact to my understanding from like 19 late 40s to 2016 when they killed the poor thing like the body panels are more or less the same i mean they went from like a two-piece windshield to one-piece windshield they went to roll up windows instead of sliding windows but like the basic the actual body shape body shape is the so, same so so series one two three and defender what's the the crossover there so is it the same same or is it more or less. I mean, I don't know how many Jeep people are listening. It's like comparing a YJ to a TJ, okay, right? Okay, so it's a later version so of a more series, or less the same thing. Yeah, you had drum brakes all the way around, leaf springs. Um, a Defender went to coil springs and disc brakes is probably the big one. The easiest way to tell at passing is a Defender will have like, like a plastic pole-style door handle where a series will have like a recessed, like little old-school-looking door handle. Um, like the two-piece windshield stuff like that, but if you park the two side by side, they're pretty they're, much identical. They're like same shape, sisters. Yeah, I, and I've heard I, I tell people this a lot, but I have no personal experience to base this off of. But you could take like this is 1961. We could take like a fender or a door off of this and bolt it right onto 2016. So anyway, right because they're all they're all pretty much the same. Um, same. Aluminum body. The firewall, or bulkhead as they call it, is the only part of the body that is steel. There's your metal fabrication trivia. Um, <laughs> everything else is aluminum. I mean, this thing has like huge chunks of paint missing. Um, I am a huge fan of aluminum. 
and that's probably a conversation for another time. But I mean, it's an incredible material. Um, and so in that sense, I mean, this thing has sat for a long time and it's still in decent shape. Yeah, you don't have to worry about all the, yep. the rust and crap that, that corrodes everything else we play with. We know and love, yeah. So, and then, oh, go ahead. No, go, go for ahead. it. I just, yeah, I mean, the, the more I've tinkered on this thing, I just find it fascinating because I think it's built very dissimilarly from a lot of the other vintage 4x4 vehicles. And anyway, that's part of the reason why I love them. Yeah, no, it's it's a cool rig. I've always liked like this thing. We had a, we had many nights with uh, me working on the Scout and you working on this. Yes, yes. To get them going. So what's the what's the future hold? Okay. For the for Land Rover. The, for this guy right here, um, I picked up some Discovery One slash Defender axles for it. So three inches wider. Uh, same lug pattern and everything, but that gets me a little bit better gear ratio, stronger guts, and disc brakes. So I'd like to do an axle swap. Suspension-wise, I've been toying with doing coils up front and leaving leafs in the rear. So I get doing more the trailing a, arm setup. Yeah, yeah, like pretty much take more the, Land Rover yep, still. I've got the trailing arms and everything that would be the you know the Defender Discovery One trailing arms. So. It may get that in the front end just to make it a little more drivable because that'll get me up to, you know, being able to drive it around on the highway a little bit more. Uh, currently, it's got a 68 289 in it. Um, and you look at the specs on that, like it's barely getting into like 200 horsepower. <laughs> yeah. Depending on budget and everything, once we get around to doing it, part of me wants to put an automatic in it just so it's more drivable. Um, but I'm thinking either a 2.3 Lima, like a Pinto motor, with possibly a turbo on it, or if the stars align, like EcoBoost 2.3 liter, and that would probably be like the fantasy for me would be 2.3 EcoBoost, because I that 289 is like crazy heavy, and this only had a four cylinder to begin with, so I think getting back more to its roots, but incorporating those those technology improvements. Yes, as Kevin probably. and Joe fantasy of the EcoBoost the world. Yes. So cool. No, that's yeah. it. It's, it's a fun little Ford Ford. Again, something you oh. don't see at all. Paint ever. scheme would be tan with one OD green fender. The one that's not there? Yes. Okay. Just so it looks <laughs> old. Anyway, so no, no, I like it. Not to interrupt. But yeah. So vintage 4x4. Four four. Continue, Kevin. So yeah, no, that's that's just, uh, this is this is step one of, of many. We hope to take down the vintage 4x4 four four, um, route. And this is the, the one we got to first. It's the easy yeah. one to get to. So and we both fit in it. And we both fit in it comfortably. Yes. Unlike Kevin trying to fit in the GT6. Yeah, that was fun. I'll fit in the Spitfire because there's no top on it. That's true. That'd be nice. Yep. It's there's cool. no vertical limitation on that <laughs> So, so Joe, you were very opinionated on <laughs> on all things. On all things, yeah. but specifically on the future of the Land Rover Defender. Yes. So, so vintage 404, right? We were talking. Yeah. They started out small, right? Your CJ line. Um, this is probably the biggest one of the era. I mean, if you're talking oh, yeah. first gen Bronco Scout, CJ, FJ40, they were all small, 100 inch or less wheelbases. This is the longer, I dare say, I don't know, I didn't look at the specs, probably a little wider. Um, yeah, Maybe not a probably, lot. I don't a think much wider. wider, but the tires tuck under the body a lot yeah. more. So I think, I think with the body, it fills up the cube a little bit more than, say, I bet it's close to a Bronco width, but like, I think the CJ5 is a lot, narrower. a couple inches narrower. I should have grabbed a tape measure. But... Yeah, we had one sitting right over there. Oh, we did. Oh, Not a tape measure, a yeah. CJ. <laughs> CJ, yeah. 
we could have we could have measured. Um, um, so so sixties they started out fairly small. I should have looked up my specs to kind of have more of a grasp on it. Then we move into second gen Bronco. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Second I thought you were gen. talking about Land Rover no, no, starting no. in the 40s. Okay. No, no. Yeah. Second gen. Well, I just, yeah, the yeah, generic yeah. 60s, the generic. first so gen. So we go with 60s era. 60s covers the, everything, it right? It does cover everything. You move into the 70s, you get the Scout 2. Yes. You get the big, fat 78, 79 Broncos. The Blazer comes out. The Blazer comes out. And gets giant. And they're big and fat and square. And what happened to Jeep? Nothing. They pretty much Nothing. stayed pretty I mean, they small. did. they did do that goofy commando thing that started to get bigger. Yeah. Um, they got a little I think, bigger at those. I think Jeep started. They did the Wagoneer. But they also have a larger variety of vehicles. They do. Right. They I, they had wagons and stuff. That yeah. They I, could keep the, the Wrangler CJ line pretty small. small. But after, like, once you get in the 70s, I think, or late 70s, I should say, like, yeah, they pretty much killed the, the baby. Other than this, right? Like the the, the yeah, Defender I mean, this, stayed small. Dimensionally, yeah, right. Dimensionally. Pretty much the same clear. Then up to, they they started getting into. When did they start getting? So then you got the Range more, Rover, right? Been, so like, then they added or stuff mid like 80s that, right? Probably, yep. So Range Rover, it was mid eighties. You're saying? I want to say it was the mid eighties. And those are. I mean, those still aren't big though. They no. didn't get American fat vehicle. Yeah, they, they didn't. On. They didn't get American fat with the vehicles, but they they definitely started getting more complex too. Because like once you get it, and that's. A conversation we've, I swear we've talked about before, like, something about, like, 80s technology, like, it doesn't age <laughs> well. And I, I don't know what it is, if it's the materials they used in, like, the wiring or the plastics or whatever, but it seems like, like, the, the modules and stuff, like, they, they were still pretty rudimentary in yeah. coming about with that stuff. And they just, like I said, they don't age well. Like, you mm. get into the, even the 90s to some degree, but I think that was... yeah. They made them giant and tried to overcomplicate them. Well, I think, and that's when you're getting into all your mission stuff, right? So they're yep. figuring out, oh, they're yeah. trying to update everything, and they kind of overcomplicate it, and things weren't ready. I don't know. That I mean, that's my yep. opinion on... No, I would agree 100%. Um, I have a whole rant about how it was a conspiracy that the uh, emissions killed the little British car market because, <laughs> you know... Anyway, that's a, that's a topic for another <laughs> just stop, time. Just stop there. Yeah, we're going to stop Okay, right so yeah, the but, 70s, yeah. the fat 70s, 80s, Broncos got a little smaller again. Not a lot. They yeah, went down a little bit. Maybe by inches. More bulkiness, right? And then, but then they came bulky. out with the Bronco too, which right. was kind of a nod back in that direction. You had the S10 Blazer. like yep, you went back small again. I guess you could say the Explorer would fall into the same category. But really, like... Killed off the Scout. The... the small utilitarian vehicle had all but gone away yeah um, you know and you get a lot into your everything then too turned into independent suspension right you got a yeah. lot away from the the solid axle stuff yep going i mean the twin i beam broncos right i mean those yeah. started in the 80s you know with your and then the bronco 2 obviously was independent yeah this is a baby twin i beam is what that and the s10s were all independent yep. smaller stuff you know and so you did you kind of transitioned back into there, and then they kind of all start fading off, right? You get yep. into 2000s, the S10s faded off, the Broncos faded out in the late 90s. The These, I mean, again, the Land Rovers didn't really change. The Scout International was gone at that point. Um, Toyota had, in the 80s, I mean, they were your Tacomas and or pickups, I guess, and Forerunners. That started to build more momentum. Which they were still solid axled. 
you know, into... I'm trying to think what year that what that change was. Early, early 90s, late 80s? I can't remember. Wow. Early 90s was independent. But yeah, they were kind of transitioning. And they were staying kind of small again. Well, and they had like the... I'm totally going to botch this, but the... Like the 60 and 80 series Land Cruiser. Yeah, those were pretty fat. But they're, yeah, they're still a, a fat vehicle. I think what happened was, and this is my personal theory, so I don't need opinions because I'm the one offering the opinions here, <laughs> not facts. I think in the 60s, even in the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, they were offered as a utilitarian vehicle that was, you know, work in your field with it all week, right. take it out hunting, fishing on the weekend. Right. And it's, it's filling that market. And I think as time progressed, maybe more suits got involved or something, and it became more of a, well, this is something you should be driven every day, so we need to have more creature comforts. It well, needs it to became have all this more stuff. of a family vehicle, It did. Right? Yeah. But, like, I mean, like, an old Jeep could still be a family vehicle. Right. But, but it, I think it's in comforts. a different context, yeah. right? Like, and I think by doing that, that was the, the utility they were looking at. In, when you look at the term sport utility vehicle, it, I, I think that's when that name came out because right. they're still trying to say, oh no, look, you can get it muddy on Saturday, but you can wash it off and drive it to church on Sunday and right. drive it to work all week and people won't judge you for it. And I think when that happened, that's really when essentially the utility element of it started to go away because instead of saying, this is something you can work with as well as play with, right. it was, you could drive this to work all week and play with it a little bit on the weekend instead right. of so I think it, it definitely moved away from the workhorse element and you still see in like truck commercials are like oh yeah there's a workhorse no it's not it's got you know <laughs> largest touch screen is class it's not a workhorse at that point it's an office like, so so I think I mean that's right there's two two mentality thinking of, of keeping it obviously at the end of the day it comes down to sales numbers for it does, for the yeah. big the big manufacturers right and so that's why if you've got the newest tech in your vehicle if you've got the best sound deadening if you've got the nicest seats um that's probably what's going to sell them more or less okay so let's go yeah. back to land rover okay so sure. so sticking with just the series slash defender line of things not going branching off into all their options yeah so that stayed up until 2016 you said i want to say it's 2016 27 early to, i think january february 2017 if i recall correctly which side note I'm no marketing genius. If they would have stuck it out for like a year, year and a half, it would have been like a nice, tidy 60 years. And you could have marketed the crap right. out of it. But they killed it like six to 18 months a little early. Like, that's what killed me. Because like, technically it started in 48. If it were me, I would have at least ran it out to hit the 2018 yeah. model year. Round it do off. a 60 anniversary, and that's it. Nice, tidy, end yeah. it with a bow. And the thing, too, like, the PR mileage you could have got out of that. Like, <laughs> to me, that's a huge missed opportunity. But, yes, 2016 was when it ended, thereabouts. So, what we're sitting in now yes. compared to a 2016. Okay. If you, I mean, I have no idea. I, I haven't have been in a Defender ever. I've been in this a couple out times. Out of my, my psychotic, artistic, engineer curiosity, anytime I've ever seen a Defender in person, I have crawled in and around and under it as much as humanly possible. Even including an instance at the Autorama where they had a Coyote 5.0 swapped Defender and I was there before it was open to the public and I was like, dude, can I? And the guy was like, as long as you don't scratch the paint, like you can get anywhere you want on it. So I'm like, 
on my back, scooching across the floor, like getting under it, seeing more or less, not only like what it looked like under there, but what they kept stock when right. they threw that 5.0 in there, you know? And, and it remarkably, like the chassis really didn't change a whole lot other than like suspension attachment points. The body, there have been a few defenders I've looked at. I believe the original, like this sheet metal dash yeah. is still there under the so plastic they did, dash. So they, they put some fascia. Yeah, like over there's stuff. a lot of overlays. Like these vents. They made it more creature comfortable. Yeah, the vents under the windshield went away. Because you got defender. AC and stuff yep. in the newer ones. The windshield went to like a one piece with the rubber gasket around the perimeter. You got rolling, roll down windows. Now the front doors on this series, the top half is removable. You undo two nuts and take top half off. The back doors we're actually going to modify to make the same. But in the Defender, it's a one-piece door, the windows roll down, which in here, I mean, you can see the, the lack, door panel or lack thereof. I mean, there's, you can see there's room to make the window roll right. down, but it'd need to be a two-piece door, right? Yeah. Um, you got like a tilt steering column, the seats became adjustable, but this box under the seat is still there. Like really, as far as like the basic sheet metal stampings, not a whole lot changed from what I can tell. Um, you got different door hinges, but there's still an external hinge. Um, the grill moved out. It's probably the biggest right. noticeable design change is the closer, they call it the breakfast for whatever reason, like the front headlight grill panel. Um, the early ones, this should have had the headlights inside the grill. Right. Somebody's put a Series 3 front clip on it, um, so the headlights are in the fenders. But like even the fenders themselves from this to a Defender really didn't change a whole lot. The grill just came further out. And then the hood correspondingly uh, extended as well. Now, the interesting thing is, and lots of people tell me the reason they did that was so they could put their little 4-liter V8 in it. This has the stock series transfer case transmission, a basic adapter plate to go to a small block Ford. And when I got it, it still had the factory series grill in it. Like, I think it was purely aesthetics right. is why they kept pushing that grill out because clearly you can fit a v8 in there yeah <laughs> i mean and really like to its credit there isn't a whole lot of hacking and slashing on the chassis to get that v8 in there like yeah. i was pretty surprised it is kind of weird in the engine bay to get around some of the motor stuff but like it fit without a considerable amount of modification um so yeah i mean that's really the biggest change is the interior got nicer you got ac you got power steering power brakes it's your basic creature comforts Basics. of the of the 90s 2000 era. and i believe in the series three they did go to a power brakes i'm not sure if they went to power steering yet um but yeah i mean like fundamentally it's pretty unchanged which i think is one of the things i find the most fascinating about it back on like the engineering tangent yeah like clearly it was a good design because it they didn't change they it. They didn't change it for know? many years. Okay, so so in 2016, they ended it. Yes. Now in 20, is it out this year or is it next year it's coming I, out? I want to say it's 2020. I think it's 2020. They released it for the 2020 model year, so it could have been so, being sold late 2019. Let me take myself back a step. Okay. The series were available in the U.S. I believe the Series 3, yes. The Defenders were never available in the U.S. No. It was never so sold. now with the new 2020 Defender, it... What I read, it's supposed to be available in the U.S. I, be I believe it's coming correct? back to the U.S. market. So technically, the first Defender coming to the U.S. market. So, so let's go into that, right? Okay. So we have we have the utilitarian Defender that's based off its 1940s roots. Yes. That hasn't changed much. Has a very similar body, and it's more. 
you've got it's more utilitarian than it is creature comfort to an, an extent, iconic got, legacy that right. it's, it's riding the wave of for for miles now if you haven't seen the new defender but you have seen a new land rover series what are they that discoveries, discoveries any of that yep that looks like that to me right it's, oh yeah and that was tata motors who now owns land rover that was their their I mean, Land Rover never excuse. varied a lot in their no. design. They've always been. They, I mean, you can always tell what it was. It's been a very smooth evolution, we'll say. Yeah. Except for Discovery 2 to Discovery 3, but that's a tangent we'll go down in a minute. Because um, I, I have a Jeep tie-in here that I think would get some people on board with my argument here. <laughs> um, you had, like, they, they were putting out a lot of press saying they wanted brand recognition, right? Like... We want all our cars to look similar enough that when you see one Land Rover, you know it's a Land Rover, which... Which you can do that without making them look all identical. Exactly. That's, like, that's the tough My part. biggest frustration with Pontiac is that, like, they all look the exact same. They all got the same goofy grill yes. shape. and Like, from the 60s, you know, your Tempest Le Mans GTO, like, B-pillar changes, but, like, grills are mostly the yep. same. Fenders are mostly the same. Even to the new ones, before Pontiac died off, you have oh, your yeah. base model G6, the G8, and the GTO that, like, if you're not a Pontiac person, it, they all look the same driving down the road. Yeah. Which, to me, kills, like, it, you, having the special GTO, except for, like, it's loud exhaust that someone's going to notice. Like, nobody knows. Joe, Joe's going to test by a wasp. No, it was laid down in the spider over there. I was waiting for it to happen, because I figured <laughs> inevitably. But, you know, and that, like... I bought the GTO. I have the fast race car version of this, but like it looks like what the old lady down the street drives. Yep. You know, that kills me. And so that's kind of what the Defender always looked so tough. It did. Right? The other ones kind of got a little softer and whatever. That was fine. That's what they were. Yeah, yeah. Like the Range Rover's always been, yeah. you know, trophy wife yeah. vehicle, right? And like then you had the Defender for the guy that either wants to go shoot a zebra or, you know, look like he's going to assault some third world country with a military <laughs> group, right? Um, BT dubs, a lot of bad guys in James Bond movies rolling defenders. But <laughs> just anyway, what you do. Just what you do. <laughs> but, you know, to to, to strike a nerve with uh, Kevin are you here. A Hold on. Are you a bad guy? No. Bad guys drive defenders and jaguars. Between Lots this... of good guys drive defenders, too. Fun fact. <laughs> Joe's a bad guy. Aside from, like, the British military obviously rolling in defenders... I believe it's called a Ranger Assault Vehicle. They don't call it a Defender, but the U.S. military uses a Land Rover Defender in some of their operations okay. at some point in history. Okay, so, but there's only one Land Rover here, and there's a lot of Jaguars, and ja bad guys always drive But I don't own any Jaguars. Oh, your so maybe your my dad, dad's, my bad dad's a bad guy. <laughs> okay, sorry. Anyway, so I think, back to the whole tangent, like, how many times have people thought your Scout was a Bronco? Every one of them, See, like, unless they own a Scout. And that would be my argument with the Defender is, like, very few people mistake a Defender for... Anything else? Anything else. And so you had that element, right. like, built into the model, right? And so, like, the Discovery 2, solid axle, V8, rugged chassis. I love the Discovery 2. They transitioned to the Discovery 3 or LR3 in America. All four-wheel independent suspension, air ride. Like, it, it started to merge with the Range Rover technology right. at that point. And that's fine because the Discovery 2 is still pretty much like leather seats. Right, it's seats. still a very nice... Like, when you look at what they sold around the world compared to the U.S. market, in the U.S. market, you could only get gas V8, automatic, leather seats, heated seats. Like, it was pretty much all the options you could possibly get on anywhere else is the only model you could get really? in the U.S. 
So, like, they knew the market here. Right. But then they still had the defender that was there back to that utilitarian thing. And so, like, they pretty much went from... The best way I could describe it would be going from, like, a Humvee to a Cadillac Escalade in, like, a two-year window. Well, it's the H1 versus the H2. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there thing. you go. That's a good You one. take this iconic element and essentially neuter it and refine it. Keep the same name. <laughs> you keep the same name. And so when it came out, like, I was looking, I was, no love. No love for no. the new Defender. And like I said, I think, I love British cars. I think if you've listened to this for more than five minutes, you've probably heard that <laughs> statement at least a dozen times. But, like, British car manufacturers really play up the legacy element. Like, Jaguar, Aston Martin, they all are very proud of the legacy right. they've had as, a, as an automobile manufacturer. And, like, I look at Land Rover very much in the same. And even when they had the last Land Rover Defender roll off the assembly line, there's some really good YouTube videos and stuff about it at all these events kind of, you know, um, commemorating that event. But it's like you took this hyper-iconic thing and turned it into, like, a baby version of the Range Rover. Now, the Range Rover is still a formidable off-road vehicle, but it's a Range Rover. Right. Like, the Defender was a Defender, and, like, now they've, they've homogenized the yeah. two... To where, like, instead of having an element of brand recognition, it's almost a level of brand uniformity. They all have all four independent suspension, adjustable right. suspension, well, yep. you know, terrain management, all this crap. And it's like, that's great. But I go back to the Jeep guys. They still make a Wrangler. You can get a Grand Cherokee with all the bells and whistles, but they still make a Wrangler. But the new Wranglers have gotten quite, I mean. But okay. they didn't, they didn't go. No. Well, all in on it. It's still solid axle. It is still solid axle. It's still somewhat util. You can take the doors off. It's yeah. You still. I mean, you I can mean, strip it down. Doors off, top off, windshield down. All that still happens with it. But like the first time I got in a new JL, I got in it Easter Jeep Safari two years ago. We drove. We'd had one down there in a booth, and I got in. I thought I would not wheel this thing. Like it is way too nice. Not to mention. Yeah, yeah your $50,000 price tag on it. Like, yep. you know, so you still do have more of the utilitarian bits on it, but, but at the same time, like, it's They're making really more conducive nice. to the domestic market. Right. And there's, I mean, there's people that go out there and beat the crap out of them. And, and yeah. maybe it's just because I don't have that budget. But, like, I'm just, even the, I mean, the Wranglers had a lot slower transition, right? The Defender kind of yeah. went... And oh. then jumps, right? Yes. The I Wrangler like kind to, of slowly... I'd like to interject at this point. Okay. <laughs> and I'm talking to you, Chrysler, and all you Jeep guys. I'll take it easy on Land Cruisers this episode. But <laughs> 2015, 2016, there's already rumors the Defender's going away. Yep. Jeep always brings concepts to the Easter Jeep yep. Safari. And what do they call it? The Jeep Africa? Something like that. Or as I would like to say, an American ripoff of a Land Rover Defender, right? Yep. So there was already a nod at Jeep moving in that direction. The year after, two years after they kill the Defender, the Jeep miraculously comes out with this very distinct body line, <laughs> coincidentally in a very similar place to the Land Rover Defender. They come out with a configuration, you know, everybody calls it the Gladiator, but newsflash, Land Rover's been building that for like 30 years. And I, if, Anybody tells me that is purely a coincidence. I call BS every. Oh, I don't. You I don't think it's a coincidence. The chronology of it, 
And that's what kills me. It adds it's just, insult to injury. It's just like, well, they're going to, the defender's dead. If like, Land Rover wanted just, to make uh, a smart move, they should have moved yeah. into the, the American market. Clearly, people yeah. are buying the crap out of the JL and the Gladiator. Yeah. There was the, the giant missed opportunity for Land Rover. As much as I love them. That's so that, that brings up a question. The Land Rover, the Defender, has always been offered yes. in multiple platforms. Yes. I feel like I looked at it at one point, but I can't remember. Is the so, new one offered in multiple platforms? I think two-door, four-door. That's, that's it. it. There's no truck. Yeah. So they made a, uh, an advertisement. I have a poster of it somewhere. I think at one point the series Defender wheelbase could be had in like 35 or 36 different configurations. Wow. Now... I will give you the Reader's Digest version because they're saying, well, you can get like a half cab with no bed, so right. you can put an ambulance back on it, whatever. But it pretty much falls into two categories and a couple different variants of each. You had a long wheelbase and a short wheelbase, so like your two-door, four-door. Right. You could get either in a half cab or wagon configuration. The four-door you could get in a two-door truck configuration, four-door truck configuration, four-door wagon, or two-door wagon which would be like your military or right. more utilitarian stuff, did not have back doors. Um, then they had a 130-inch wheelbase variant, which is like a four-door with a more more of a truck bed, which is what, what the Gladiators right. essentially yeah, that's what, that's, replicating, right? Um, I won't use the word ripped off. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and so you look at that, and I mean, they, at least other parts of the world, I mean, they made everything out of these things. And yeah. like... And all the, the slogan at the bottom of this advertisement is more than just a pretty face, which, it's a brick. I won't make any bones <laughs> about that. So, But to the right person, I guess it's a pretty face. But yeah, I mean, you could get all these different configurations. And you still see that with the Jeep. And there's rumors that the new Bronco is going to be done the same way. Like right. Two-door, four-door. And I've heard rumors they're going to make a truck, four-door truck version. So are they going to bring back? I mean, is it going to be a Ranger? What? I mean, okay, so so I'm trying to decide not to deviate too far into the Ford realm right now with the new Bronco coming out, but they have the Bronco and then they have the Bronco Sport, which is what they did with the Bronco and the Bronco 2, right? They had yeah. that sub-model. So the Sport's the one that originally, like... Yeah, some Hornets behind the, you. Sorry, the pictures, The pictures all popped up about and... You know, everybody's like, oh, the they ruined it. They look terrible, too. right? It looks it looks a lot like a, what's the little Land Rover? Uh, Freelander. Freelander. Looks a lot like yep. that, right? And then there's, like, the bigger one that's actually come out now, and it looks pretty decent. Um, yeah, I think. And they've they've made no bones about they're going after the, the Wrangler market. Right. Which, we talked about this before, it's the circle of riot life, right? Like, they got big and overcomplicated, and they're still somewhat complicated. They're getting back to that more compact right. size. Which, tangent, the Mahindra Roxer. Yep. It's a licensed, essentially, it's, a CJ7. It's, it's a CJ and a side-by-side -side mating. Yeah. And, I mean, that there again shows that there's still some, I don't know what size because I'm not the sales guru, but, like, there is some market for that if they actually took it that far down the road. So I think, so I, I wonder, Joe, here's my wonderment. If you look at the rest of the, the Ford, the Jeep, they all had a gentle transition of body style changes yes. with the updates where the Defender got maybe some it creature comforts and then abrupt yeah. chop and then yes. it was over and then it came <laughs> back and it came back in a very soft way. But, I mean, if you've seen the advertisement... It, it, you it can looks, be stupid with any vehicle. Yeah. Let's get that straight. But like they go out, they jump them, and they're doing crazy crap with yes. them. 
and they're showing that they're still very formidable formidable but but i think probably a lot of it it's just such a dramatic i think so change yeah. rather than just kind of that gradual well, little... with the submodel thing here's my criticism of both ford and now land or land rover and now ford is before land rover had distinct model lines and that was yeah. a, if you had the most expensive suv it was a range rover if you had the mid-range it was the discovery if you had the baby it was the freelander and then you had the defender in an arena of its own okay yep they have since done away with the freelander yep and you have the discovery and the discovery sport which is a baby version of the discovery which seems asinine <laughs> yeah. you have the range rover and the range rover evoke which is a baby version of the that. range rover which yeah. seems asinine they incorporate a range rover sport which is actually an entirely different model but it's in the range rover family and so you've got like nine different cars that you're putting different names on or the same name on yeah and people are already confused about what the difference between a land rover and a range rover is and i always tell them well it's a make and a model not two different manufacturers yeah. And they're just making it worse. You're like muddying yeah. the waters yeah. even more. And then you make a Defender, which looks like a Discovery and looks like a, a Range Rover. Who the heck? Like right. So when when that model comes to the U.S., or is the U.S. having never had the Defender? Yeah. And now it looks like a Discovery or a Range Rover. I think a lot of people are gonna drive past it on the road, recognize it as a Land Rover, but not anything different than any other right because i mean people buy wranglers because they're wranglers right it's, it's that brand recognition and it and looks you, you know it's wrangler well, okay, without a question so when you see it here's my question to you what pops into your head when i say the word jeep the wrangler exactly yeah and like when people say land rover oftentimes i'm not gonna say always especially here but like the defender, the defender is right. the iconic land rover but i, I don't think and, i mean you're trying to sell the name in the u.s at this point but i think you've lost a lot of the specialness of it, right? I, I totally agree. Like if you made a Wrangler into a Grand a, Cherokee. A baby Grand Cherokee. Right. Yeah. The people who aren't Jeep people wouldn't know. And, and the problem is with the U.S. market, there's not a lot of Land Rover people. And there's yeah. even less Defender people, right? Yep. And so the people who want that, buying the name, sure, but like your average guy going into something isn't going to know, isn't going to care about the Defender, yeah. I feel. I feel like it's going to... I'm interested to see what will happen in, in the sales so, numbers there because. As much know. as I hate to say it, I'm going to say some nice things about Jeep for a second. <laughs> because I think the Jeep market, and I am not including Jeep Cherokee owners. I said it. Anyway, <laughs> I have no love for the Jeep XJ. Anyway, or any Jeep really. But anyway, here we go. So when someone goes and buys a Jeep Wrangler, they're looking at it for two things. Probably something they're going to drive every day. Yep. And they want to have fun on the weekend, right? Back to previous elements of this conversation. I think people that buy a Land Rover, at least in the U.S. market, the majority of them are not overly concerned about fuel mileage or potential reliability once right. it has 100,000 miles on it. Because most people that are buying a brand new Land Rover are not going to have it at that 100,000 no. mile mark. And so I think that is the issue with, instead of introducing an older style Defender and maybe embarking into a new market, they just stuck with the market they're already selling cars to, which is people blowing a bunch of money on a brand new Range Rover as more of a status symbol. They don't care right, about yeah. long-term reliability or depreciation, or they're doing it because Range Rovers are really nice cars, but I wouldn't, even if I had a bajillion dollars, I don't think I'd ever buy a brand new one. Which, which is kind of sad because 
I mean, if, if you're in the new four-wheel drive market, right, the tech yep. is just something you're not going to get away from, right? Exactly. They've all got their, their downhill assists and their crawl control and all that stuff, which is great. And when you watch Top Gear and you watch these guys that go out and actually use these things and drive them, they're very capable vehicles. Oh, yeah. But it's sad because I think most of them are probably getting wasted. Like, they're, they're never going to get used for what they're made for. Yep. Jeep market, I mean, you're going to have a lot of those that get used and all the tech and whatever gets used in them that's in them. Toyotas are getting more and more, you know, when I was in that industry, more and more Toyota people were building the Toyotas and they were getting more serious about it. And there's always new stuff coming out for Toyotas. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, like the Land Rover, the new Land Rover people, people are going to go spend, yeah. how much are they going to cost? Do you have any idea? I, off the top of my head, I don't know. They're, I mean, I don't think they're going to be cheap, like you said. No, I, Range I, Rover bet, I bet they're, they're probably pushing 50, 60. On the low end, would be my guess. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of sad to see they are capable, as proven yep. by a few people. But, like you're saying, the customer base isn't really going to use them to their potential. Is that fair yep. for me to say? That's me making exactly. assumptions. No, but. no, no. That, that, I think that's, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, you look at how many people buy a Ferrari, that can afford a Ferrari, yeah. buy a Ferrari with the intent of racing it every weekend and then driving it to right. work every that's day. True. And I think that's the market... Or the domestic perceived domestic market um, for Land Rovers, I say domestic, but the American market for Land Rovers is they might, you know, drive to their cabin in the woods, right? In it, and but it's something you could do it. in any any SUV, SUV or all-wheel drive car. Really, they're right. not they're not <laughs> taking it out <laughs> and just like thumping it around on the weekend and then still using it as a commuter car. And I think that's the difference between say, like, the Jeep Wrangler market and the, the, the American Land Rover market. But if it would have stayed to its true roots of a Defender like the Wrangler has, yeah, you would have more people actually I would like to think it. if you had a more traditional Defender offering in the United States that the potential existing market would be there, and I think you'd see growth in that arena. Yeah. Especially with, back to the whole missed opportunity thing, like... You know, they were like two or three years too quick to kill it. Because yeah. now that the Broncos are coming out, if all of a sudden they're like, oh, we revamped the, the classic Defender to come out to the U.S. market right. right around the same time that the new Wrangler and the new Bronco and all this is coming out. Oh, man, they it, it would have been this amazing arena to watch because, you know, you, would, you really would have had automotive manufacturers competing for a specific market, which would have been fun to watch. Yeah, and I think a lot of Bronco, I I, I expect the Bronco to do pretty well. I guarantee One, it's going to do well. because of the nostalgia of it, right? Yep. People, and there's not the nostalgia in the U.S. for the Defender. Like, there is not. You've revamped this vehicle and brought it to the U.S. market that, that has no, no roots here, yep. right? And I think a lot of it, myself included, is probably what could be considered a morbid fascination. Yeah. You know, like I've always... Being a Disneyland fanatic, like the Jungle Cruise and Adventureland is like my favorite part of the park, and I like the outdoors. And I've been to Africa a couple of times, coincidentally enough. But like, when I think of this, I think of, you know, trying to run down zebras across the Serengeti type stuff, right? right. Like you look, they'll watch the old John Wayne movie, Hatari, where they're—I mean, that's a classic. Anyway, <laughs> but the funny thing is, they're in Africa capturing African animals. It's got John Wayne. It was filmed in like the mid '60s. They're driving a Jeep CJ in, like, the entire thing. Really? I don't even know if there's a Land Rover in it once, which breaks my heart. But that's, like, the fantasy that runs through my mind 
when I think of an old Land Rover. Is it's that, you know, you're wearing the pith hat all decked out in khaki and just like annihilating, you know, some endangered species. But like, so here's, here's another take on, I'm trying to figure out Land Rover. Okay, <laughs> yeah. this, this is painful. Painful. So Jeep has always been, you know, if you ask right, you've got Moab, you've got uh, the California one that I'm gonna kick myself, I can't think of what it's called. Sure. But anyways, the Jeep is, the off-road market for the Jeep is usually rock slash mountainy. Is the off-road market for the, the Land Rover more of a desert type off-road market? I think. Is that why solid axles aren't a big thing and adjustable suspension and having a cushy ride across bumps at higher speeds? Because Jeeps yeah. don't do well at high speeds, let's be honest. On okay. the freeway, Jeeps don't even do well at high speeds, yeah. let alone through bumpy so, dirt stuff. I had a Discovery 2 that we got four or five inches of lift, 33 inch tires. Like I, I yeah. got it pretty stupid, roof racks, snorkel bumpers. I could still do like 75 on the freeway comfortably. Yeah. And I never got crazy with it. It was mostly, you know, some muddy roads and a couple steep hills and stuff. Like I was never much of a rock crawler per se, right. but it performed outstanding in that environment. I think the term overland gets way overplayed. Yeah. But I think if you look at it in a more traditional sense, I think that was more of the recreational purpose or environment that a Land Rover was more commonly used in. Yeah. Especially like in Europe. Your dirt roads. Your, your dirt roads. You're yeah. going out in the middle, off the beaten track, as right. they would say. It's rugged enough that it can get you there and back. Um, and you can, you know, they made a version that had like a pop top. So, you know, it was almost like a vanigan, right? Like yeah. you could sleep in it. Even this, it's big enough. I can make the back seats fold oh, yeah. flat and have like a queen size bed in there. Um, but are you, that's typically why you see a Land Rover with all the bells and whistles on it is, you know, it's more of that still off-road, but not like here is a giant rock. I'm going to get to the top. Right. And that's... You're still going on a, a road, a path, a trail, a, path, a road, yeah. whatever you want term you But I think use. it's more of like the off-grid element where... Right. It's something you can't drive your, you know, Ford Focus to unless you have, you know, a Rally Cross. Yeah, unless Focus. it's a Rally Probe. Yeah, it's, the Rally. Let's see, I didn't say Probe, I said Focus. I know, I yeah. tried to change it. Um, so, so maybe in in the bit of Land Rover defense, if that is the market, that's. I mean, Toyota's yeah. done it right. Everything they have is independent. They don't care about solid axles anymore. Yeah. Jeep is basically the only one that stayed there. Ford obviously didn't go back to the solid axle. They stayed with an independent front end. Yep. You know, they have, they could they could have made a big fat Bronco based off of a Super Duty or whatever, right, with a solid axle, but yeah. they kept it small, they kept it independent, they kept it, quote unquote, overland friendly, Capable. right? Yeah. And more, again, you're going back, to, I would say that the independent suspension is a... I do not know what that bug is. I don't know what that bug is either. <laughs> he's got a, either a big stinger or a weird tail. Um, anyway, um, that creature comfort end of things, I mean, it, you can't deny that the drivability of a Toyota 4Runner versus the drivability of a Jeep Wrangler. Jeep is getting better, like it has. Like every year yeah. from the JK to the, the JL, and you know, the TJ obviously was a huge step to the JK, the JK to the JL. They're doing changes to make them more drivable. Um, but I mean, people get crazy with the Jeeps too, right? They, yeah. you know, with, with the six inch lifts and the, the new ones, you can put 40-inch tires on them with, like, 3-inch lift. You're not going to do any rock crawling, yeah. but just, you know, you can just get crazy with them. And so, um, you know, the, the drivability of a Jeep has always been something that 
is kind of questionable to me of a Wrangler. I yeah. see, I'm saying Jeep, and I mean Wrangler, right? I mean Wrangler, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, and so I, I wonder if it's again you're going to the creature comfort end of things, but also like for people who want to drive down a dirt road in a comfortable manner. Yeah, that's why you've got all the air suspension and adjustable stuff that's that's incorporated into the Defender now. Yeah, that step away from. But well, and in their defense, um, before I go down that road. I think independent front end has come a long way, technologically oh, yeah. speaking. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, in the early days, you had the torsion bars and, like, the Ford twin I-beam, and they... The twin I-beam is still huge in, like, the pre-runner, yeah. you know, like, the idea desert it, racing yeah. market, but... In a highly modified sense. <laughs> as a functioning, like, everyday front axle, I think it left something to be desired. Yeah. And I think now, like, you look at, like, what they can do with coilovers and control arms and stuff, I think the more traditional independent or more what you would think of when you think of an independent front end the technology has caught up to the point that you can get a lot of capability out of it yeah and i almost think it's there was enough time for them to really refine the understanding and the engineering behind it that they could make a, a decent one i will say much to land rover's credit like their terrain response system which now ford and jeep have adopted very similar things which cracks me up because Landover had it first. Um, you know, I mean, it's quite fascinating. I worked on a lot of newer Land Rovers when I was armoring cars because, like, the, an armored Range Rover was, like, a hot commodity for a long time. And, like, you've got a variable ride height by inches. Yeah. You had front, rear, and center locking differential. Um, the traction control, the transmission shift points, and even, you know, some of the engine management stuff could be set to a predetermined configuration based on what terrain you're on. And like that, like when I first saw it, I was like, that is so gimmicky. Until you can run like a three inch lift on the dang thing and lock both differentials by turning a knob on the dash. Yeah. There, There is something to be said for that. I mean, it'll even change the pressure in the air suspension, how everything reacts. Right. It's quite remarkable. And like I said, the Grand Cherokee has a lot of that now and like the new Explorer and stuff. And I think the Bronco's coming out with I'm Some sure kind you'll of have all terrain the, response or terrain yeah, management the system. Tech can, Ford tech can throw in it. You know, do you think back, I got an 87 Jeep Cherokee, which is one of the reasons why I hate Jeep Cherokees, but <laughs> it had like a, a towing and a like a, a highway, and it was pretty much a selectable shift point button on the back. Oh, yeah. Like power or economy. Yeah, something like that. It was like a toggle switch on the... Now you flip that thing up, it seemed like it was spunkier off the line and had more guts, but it was like... Not like even that, that by today's yeah. standards, pretty gimmicky. And probably back then they were like, it's a switch on the dash, it's not doing anything, yeah. you know, like, you know. But anyway, um, I think to some degree the technology's neat, but like in all fairness, like... Who's really using that? Yeah, that's interesting. That'd be interesting to see. I think that could almost be synonymous with uh, a solid front axle. Yeah. Because most people, like we live in Utah, you get a couple months where there's snow on the road. But if you're driving to work every day, most of the roads get plowed pretty quick. So it's not like you're driving to work every day 10 miles an hour and four low. Um, but it is nice to have either all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive for the winter. Like... My wife, because I try to take care of her, um, I've always had her in some SUV that either had, you know, automatic four-wheel drive or, like the Land Rover Discovery 2 there again, it's solid front rear axle, full-time four-wheel drive. 
you have high, low right. range, that's it. And so, like, her driving that, I never really had to worry as long as she had good tires. Like, even if it started snowing, there's a couple inches of snow on the road, she'll still make it home. It had ABS and traction control and stuff, so it was, like, not a huge concern. And I think that's really the scenario that you see a lot of the terrain response stuff coming into the equation. If they're really going to be doing much off-roading, they're probably either going to have an older vehicle right. more dedicated to being beat in that scenario, or you know something a little more formidable in the newer range but so so come 40 years down the road you know the life that we live now of getting these old vehicles and fixing them I, up and and having limitless possibilities right because they're so basic and simple yeah. when you you buy a 2020 defender in 40 years you know and the air suspension's all blown out in it and you know it needs a lot of work and you know can you re, you need to okay. put new axles like so, are you, how limited are you going to be in the future to being able to, to projecteer a, a vehicle? Yeah, I think what you will see in that scenario, well, two, two, I guess two scenarios. Like suspension-wise, I think you're going to see as it ages terribly, there becomes a potential market for aftermarket suspension, whether it's coilovers or just coil springs. That Which they have, hands. you know, currently yeah, yeah. for all your air stuff that yeah. gets bad and goes And I think crap. you'll see that grow in popularity. My concern 40 years down the road is much how we talk about how like 80s cars have aged terribly from yeah. like the technology. Like I think there again, another tangent, like nobody buys 90s Land Rovers or Mercedes Benz or any of that to use as a daily driver because yeah. the technology now it did not age well right. it sucks to work on it doesn't really make sense by today's standards because technology has moved on my biggest fear is like my kids or grandkids get into cars the availability of more basic stuff is essentially non-existent right they're getting into stuff that has technologically outpaced a formative automotive knowledge yeah like, you, and you can't just go... You can't fix it in your backyard. Figure it out. I mean... You're spending $5,000 in diagnostic tools for a project car. Right. Trying to, you know, throw a, an Apple II technology into, you know, an iPhone. And it's like, it. I don't see it meshing well. No, that's... My, my hope is, it, it'll never happen, but with the advent of, like, the EcoBoost, where you can buy an LS motor, stuff like that, that are more... They're technologically advanced, but they're starting to produce more standalone kits. Right, yep. That's going to be the new small block Ford Pinto motor or Chevy 350 that gets swapped into everything. I think that's the only saving grace would be to almost remove a lot of that technology. Right, you'd have to. I and mean, substitute it with something else. Instead of trying to bring things, you know, like my, like my Scout, I, I put fuel injection on it rather than carburetors. So instead of bringing things up to make it somewhat more new, you're going to be bringing things back. back. <laughs> to, exactly. So you can work on it. So, you so can... they're, they're, they're more of a, you know, and yeah. that, I think that is probably my, the, the element I have the most apprehension over is how things evolve. Because I've thought about that too, like with these old things, like I know it drives my life nuts because every time I find an old car, I'm like, gosh, I'd love to just like get it and squirrel it away because it's like, we can see the asteroid in the horizon, right? Yeah. My fellow Tyrannosaur here, right? <laughs> and it's like, 
do you want to scoop up all the stegosauruses and hide them in a cave somewhere so once that asteroid hits we still have something to eat or are we going to get smoked off the face of the planet in the next 20 years once this giant rock smacks yeah. into the surface of the earth that's that's the tough one because i mean as new cars come out they have dramatically become less and less um owner maintenance oriented yeah i agree with that where you go back in the 60s i bet if you went to a dealership most owners probably knew just as much as the dealership mechanic yeah and now it's not what you know, it's what utensils you have to access. And the technology is incredible. I don't discredit that, but I see it as being a concern for project cars in the future. Uh, yeah, because I mean, like the new vehicle I bought for my wife, right? Like I had no intention of ever touching it. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was nice for her and it was, you know, up to date and I didn't have to worry about it. But you never do anything with it. You know? I, in my earlier years, I was quite the avid home mechanic yeah and i have seen my wife's car is not super new by any stretch of the imagination but the only time i pop the hood in it is if she says she's out of washer fluid or <laughs> it's making a funny noise yeah and it's like you and put that some sawdust in it yeah, yeah i put sawdust <laughs> in the gearbox and i just hope no one glues my fedora on my head um yes we're not going to explain reference. that reference we're just going to leave that that gem there um but like, I don't know, like it was a weird point in life when I realized I was having other people work on my cars. And sure. I was like, it's it's like once that realization occurred, it was like, oh, this is weird. Like, I don't know, because for years it was always, oh, it's making a squeaky noise. Ah. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. Okay, well, let, let's, as Top Gear would say, let's end it on that bombshell of, yep. you know, our, our future's doomed. So. I, I think that, that, that went through a nice progression <laughs> and hopefully ended on a, a nice, tidy conclusion. So. so, yeah, thanks for listening again to another podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, and yeah. as always, follow us on all the social medias, at The Projecteers, yeah. watch our YouTube stuff. Uh, we try to do some similar stuff, so if you're interested in stuff we're talking about, vehicles, it'll probably be something on YouTube with... Hopefully a visual frame of reference for it. Um, but yeah, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Let, you, let us know your projects like usual. Um, we've got some feedback on our last one. Yeah, so. we did. That was fun. <laughs> so yeah, good. Uh, thanks for listening to us and uh, have a good one. Oh, the camera died. That was good timing. That was, <laughs> I was like, what's beeping? You know, I was looking at your phone because something...